We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Alex Hurst here with our guest, Craig Hope, who has very kindly agreed to speak to True Faith on our Patreon platform a couple of times a month, probably to talk about all things Newcastle United. So if you're interested in that, we're putting this one out free of charge so everyone can hear Craig during an incredibly busy time for him uh, during the transfer window. So if you like what you hear and you like True Faith, £6.60 a month on Patreon, you get lots more of these podcasts every single week discussing this crazy football club. Plus now you can hear Craig uh, a couple of times a month and we'll have these conversations. Craig, thank you for joining us. How has January been for you so far, mate? I'm looking forward to February the 1st. Uh, I really am. It's uh, it's a difficult month journalistically because there's a, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, everyone you speak to is generally motivated by an agenda for, for, for information to find its way into the public domain. That is not always a, a genuine agenda. And for us, Newcastle United reporters, well, this is new to us. It really is. Where you know, January is a month when you'd ordinarily put in holiday. Under the Mike Ashley regime, it was a chance to uh, it was a chance to get some time away. So, so yeah, I must admit, if I was saying this to a colleague earlier, actually, the first week of the window was was awful. It really took me by surprise. It was the it was just the shock of the the level of activity and the level of interest in what was happening transfer wise on the on the northeast patch. As I said, we've we've never had that before, and you are you are gripped by paranoia, by fear. You, you wanted to have the news first. You are. It, it caught me off guard to a degree because, listen, as much as we were expecting it, I think we weren't really geared up for the for the level of interest there would be from beyond the northeast in terms of what what Newcastle are doing in this this transfer window, and that remains as well. Uh, like I say, be that from your, your online desks in particular, be that from you new followers on on Twitter, podcasts, radio shows, TV. You know, everyone wants a piece of you this month because what Newcastle United do in terms of the players they bring in is uh, is big news, and everything's being di- dissected as well. I mean, I went on I went on a radio station yesterday, and you know, I just thought I was going on to talk about uh, the the Saudi trip, the lead result, and it was ten minutes being bombarded with questions about Newcastle United and transfers. And it, again, it, it, it caught me off guard to a degree, and I think I was just quite relaxed and open and honest about what I felt and. The responses I had on Twitter from from Newcastle supporters in particular were was quite strong in that they were saying you're so negative, you 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 gloomy, all the rest of it. Now you can, you can say that, but it, it's also realistic because listen, we've arrived at what is it now day 
26 of the transfer window. And I think, and listen, there's a lot going on and we're going to get into this, you know, that there's a few deals live at the moment and I will be able to share a little bit more information with you. But I thought as of yesterday, day before, whenever it was I went on the radio, I didn't think Newcastle had done enough at that point in terms of what I would have expected for all the pre-January noise, all the planning they'd done, all this talk we had of the long hours and having this, that and the other in place to get to January 25th with only Kieran Trippier in, who was a, it was an excellent deal. The numbers make a lot of sense. Hats off to them. But then as well, also also only adding Chris Wood, who, if we're being honest, is probably a downgrade on Callum Wilson and was a, a necessary addition and was a fairly easy one to do, bearing in mind they're related to the, the release clause. So, see, I was a little disappointed with business up to January the 25th, I must admit. But, but there are still four or five days to go and there are a few deals live and we will reserve all judgment until February the 1st. Yeah, fair enough. And I think that's a sensible approach to make. I've been, I don't know if shocked is the right word, because like you say, it's so different to what, what we're used to as supporters and, and you're used to as well. But just Newcastle United are just everywhere at the minute. Sky Sports News, top of every hour, Newcastle United. I noticed the the BBC did a, a big article today on the, the, the deals to watch. But for them, when Newcastle United, it's it's almost unprecedented. I think, in terms of a single football club in in the January window, making such waves. And I suppose there there is some frustration out there. You're always going to get that. You know, social media isn't an accurate reflection always. But you know, you get people saying, you know, what's going on? This isn't good enough. We we'll promise more. But like you say, wait until February the first, and you you know. Can you give us an update on on the irons in the fire? They've been well reported today, but I think a lot of supporters are, you know, you kind of get the the supporters who think, oh, we'll not sign any of them. You know, do you do you view that? Do you think that we are going to get these players in before Monday night? Okay, well, listen, we're going to time check this. It is just after <laughs> half past eight on what are we Wednesday night? Because this could change by half past nine. It really could. I don't know what time you're going to put this out, but okay. So this is this is news. Uh, I knew I was coming on here. So uh, as of as of 8 o'clock, the latest was that Newcastle have an offer in for Bruno Camarish at Leon, the deep line Brazilian playmaker. Uh, there was reports last night in France that the offer was €40 million. Euros. Now, I was told straight away that was a little on the high side, not too much, but I think it's more around the, the £30 million mark that the offer is in for. Now, there's some reports earlier that an offer had been accepted. I think there was some within Newcastle who thought the offer had been accepted. I, my understanding is that at the moment, they're still waiting for a definitive answer from Leon. Maybe one or two earlier thought they had a deal, but they haven't quite yet. They're hopeful that definitive answer will come tonight. A medical is provisionally booked in for later in the week in South America. Uh, Bruno is playing for Brazil in Ecuador tomorrow night, I believe. And of the three big money buys they have been chasing, Sven Botman, Diego Carlos, and now Bruno Gamares, this is the one out of all of them I've heard people on the inside speak with the most confidence about in terms of getting it done. Now, Botman and Carlos have taught us not to not to take anything for granted. There's been various various junctures on those two deals. We thought they were going to progress quite quickly as well, and that didn't quite happen. And there were there were fairly public denial of failure failure the word well, it was yeah. And I don't think. Newcastle and the new owners can afford a third one of those. I really don't, especially not so close to the end of the window. They're still missing that real big statement signing. Trippier was good. Trippier was excellent. But he's also a 31-year-old right back. I think bringing in a 24-year-old current Brazilian international who was being courted by the likes of Arsenal, 
and Juventus, I think to make that sort of deal happen would be a statement for, for the football club and for the new ownership. And also as well for, for the current guys who are in charge there, Amanda Stavely, you know, and, and her husband. Because while we've got the whole, the wider Saudi ownership, we've also got the British contingent who have been given the management contract to run the club. And there's a lot of pressure on them this month. There is, you know, they've been given this deal, the, the, the keys to the kingdom, if you like, and they've got to prove one or two, one or two things to the paymasters. And Amanda Stavely made the decision going into January to, to not bring in with her uh, a director of football. Now, I thought that was a mistake. I'm on the record saying that as a mistake. Before January, and even as of now, with January the 25th, 26th, I still think they could have done with uh, an expert hand at that executive level to guide them through. I mean, listen, if we're being honest, now Lee Charney's gone, they've arguably got less from a, a, an expertise, a, a sporting, footballing knowledge uh, expertise level than they did in the summer window, even January before that. So, so yeah, I think it's a big window for for, uh, for Amanda and her husband. And I think a signing like this would go a long way uh, for them to uh, to appease and support us, to, uh, to, to, to give them journalists as well, like myself, something positive by which to judge them and all the noise beyond Tyneside as well. I think it really would be a statement signed. There is, there is deal number one, which is absolutely bubbling away at the, at the moment. And I would say out of all those big ones, it's probably the one I expect to be done. Uh, deal number two, Dan Byrne, the centre-half at Brighton. I, you know, I can confirm... You know, very good sources. A bid went in today for what I believe was around £8 million. That bid was rejected. I think they are going to return with a third off of a Dan Byrne. Now, now, if you'd said to me that Dan Byrne was going to be the centre-half Newcastle brought in at the start of the window, I think everyone would have been, to a, to a degree, underwhelmed, especially when you see Sven Botman and then Diego Carlos linked as the, the one and two targets. But is Dan Byrne better than what Newcastle have at the moment? Now, I think he probably is. And I, I'm in a WhatsApp group here with, with my friends, who are all Newcastle supporting friends. And we were all watching the, the Brighton game against uh, Chelsea a, couple, what was it, a week ago or so. And I text them in the group and said, Newcastle could actually do a lot worse than Dan Byrne. This was before I knew of, of any interest. Uh, I'm actually telling my friends today on WhatsApp that it was my recommendation to the hierarchy, which has brought <laughs> about the deal. But uh, yeah. He's a, listen, he's, a, he's a northern lad. He's you know he's a, he's a fair age now. I think he's what late twenties or so. You know it's not a it's not a deal which you would envisage this this regime making to take the club to the next level. It's more a sign than to keep you in the division. And in the short term, that's what that's ultimately what they need. I think Dan Byrne would be a, would be a good recruit. I don't think it will be necessarily an easy one to do, and it might take a little bit of an agitation from the player, a Jory Boy coming back to the team he supported. To make this happen, but they're going to go back in again somewhere, I believe, in the region, maybe 10 north of 10 million pounds. The third deal is Mitchell Backer at, at Leverkusen, which is still live. Now, I think I reported, I was sat in the car park at Leeds at Allen Road actually waiting to, to go in on Saturday, and I got a, uh, a call through saying that the, the figure was 16 million pounds, and Leverkusen were actively looking for, for a replacement, and that deal would happen. Now, there was, there was word on Monday that perhaps that, that had gone dead. I, I never got that myself, but it, it seemed to go away a little bit. Well, today it's it, it's reignited. And I'm told that as long as Leverkusen can bring in a replacement, the player wants the move, Newcastle are prepared to pay the £16 million. Leverkusen sees £16 million as a decent, quick, double your money profit on the £8 million they paid PSG in the summer. And to that end, I'm told today that there probably should be, if Leverkusen can bring in that, that replacement left-back, there should be movement there. So that would be a left-back, the centre-half and the centre-midfielder, which for me are the three most urgent positions of need. You've then got 
the, 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 the fourth position, which is the forward player, whether that's someone withdrawn, like a Jesse Lingard, or do you go for a, a, another striker, someone as backup or competition to Chris Wood, because Callum Wilson's injury is still probably going to keep him out for another what, seven, eight weeks or, or so yet, which is a fairly significant time period. So the Jesse Lingard, now, I don't know, did, did, did me and you have a, we had a conversation last week. I mean, I, I said this on air and, and in print anyway, but I think I told you at the time as well, Newcastle were going to have to pay something resembling a transfer fee for a loan deal for Jesse Lingard. That was always going to be the way it was when you had Jesse refusing to commit to a, a, a permanent, Manchester United refusing to commit to what would be a, an ordinary, sensible £2 million, £3 million loan deal. So the figures we were told today were that it was going to cost Newcastle United all tools. Now, I'm interested to get your opinion on this, Alex. £15 million for Jesse Lingard for six months. You know, wages, transfer fee, plus, plus about a £10, £12 million survival bonus. Now, do you think that's worth it? Newcastle United don't. And from what we're like to believe, they've walked away from the deal. They might go back, they're still three or four days. Would you take Jesse Lingard for that amount of money, knowing it was six months only? It's not even six months, is it? Because we're done with January. So you've got February, <laughs> March and April. Really, there's like one one or two games to miss. So it's like three months, not six I think, I think, as you said to me last week, Jesse Lingard definitely improves Newcastle United. Now, Newcastle United are in a desperate situation because we're finding ourselves in the relegation zone. Um, the you know the games in hand situation makes it a little bit less clear, but I th- I think the would I I would do it I would do it because if you look at I look at particularly Ryan Fraser for Newcastle at the minute. Would he replace Ryan Fraser? I don't know what he does with the formation. How, but that's probably who he comes in to replace. Do you get a much, much bigger output in terms of assists, in terms of goals? Probably yes. And although we're concentrating on defensive signings, quite rightly, as, as I've said previous, it's not Jamal LaSalle's fault. We can only score once in a game. So I think the need the needs to bring in more at the other end of the pitch. An injury to Alan Maximin we would be in serious trouble, particularly if hitting mm-hmm. Wilson at the same time. And I think Lingard lessens that burden a little bit. So I, I would just go and do it. There's no point being the richest club in the world, allegedly. We don't know that that's the case. <laughs> if you can't splurge and take a gamble once in a while, 15 quid, is a, it's a lot of money and would it impact the summer? But if you if you could go and get Lingard now and, and he plays well, the team stay up, chances are you sign him in the summer as well. Mm-hmm. So you're paying 15 million quid now that might be the transfer fee for him if, if he had 18 months in his deal, for example. Mm. So I probably would go and do it. How about you, mate? I think what you've got to do is you've got to... The calculation, could you, during the, the three or four months remaining, take a gamble on bringing Jesse Lingard in and doing enough to charm him and enough for him to fall in love with 52,000 supporters that whereby when he comes a free agent in the summer, he joins you then. That is the... Now, if... If you were given an indication that that could happen and that might happen, and Jesse Lingard came in, scored goals, was adored by, adored by, uh, by St. James's Park, I think he would find it very hard to, to leave at the end of that season, as we found with Rafa Benitez in the serenade against Spurs. You know, that, that stadium can be pretty, pretty persuasive. It really can be. Do I think it's worth doing? I can see why they don't want to, especially at this stage, because I think it sets a dangerous precedent. Maybe it's one of those you do with 24 hours left, like even with, with minutes left of the window, just so you're not saying with five, five days to go of the window, we're prepared to pay silly money, stupid money to get these deals done. So maybe there's a little bit of brings some shit with regards, with regards to that. 
regardless of the fee, forget the £15 million in terms of wages, all the rest of it, would, would Jesse Lingard improve Newcastle United? For me, absolutely. I really think he would. Would, it, would I rather have, or would I rather see come in as a journey? You know, I'm speaking as a journalist here as well, you know, because I want to see Newcastle survive. It's a team on my patch. You know, the, the, the bigger, the better the club, the more words I get in the paper. You know, would I want to see a 29-year-old Jesse Lingard or a 26-year-old Deli Ali? I think it would be Lingard every time I really do. I think you look at what he did at West Ham last year and he went in, he hit the ground running, he scored goals. I've always thought he was a good character. Uh, I, I do. I, I, I hear good things about him. I think he's he's hungry to get out and play. Now, I understand why in, there may be a school of thought whereby people say, well, if he's not willing to commit to a permanent move in, in January, we don't, you know, you, you, you don't want him here. I can understand his logic to a degree, you know, because this is, this this summer is his last big payday. He's 29-year-old. Uh, he's, he's done his time at Manchester United. He's a free agent. He's got the chance to land one last big contract, which sees him through until he's, he's sort of early, mid-30s, so to speak. So, so I can understand him only wanting to come in on loan as a sort of a, 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 a trial basis for him in, in many ways. But would I go out and do it at those numbers? Uh, I would leave the decision until the last day and see what else you've got in. If you've got Bruno Gamarage in, and you've maybe brought in another forward player, you perhaps don't have to splurge the, that money on Jesse Lingard. If you haven't, if the Gamarish deal has gone south and there's no other forwards coming in, maybe you have to go and spend that on, on Jesse Lingard. But I certainly think in terms of the isolation of the player, would he be a good addition? Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. How about this window for you then as a journalist and a trusted one at that by nearly everyone I know in terms of supporters? Well, everyone I know, in fact, I'm not hiding anyone behind who uh, who says you're unreliable. It's not the case at all. But in terms, so I think Newcastle fans have a core set of journalists who, if if they tweet a link to a player, they know it to be true. How do you deal with that in terms of knowing what you think is reliable, what is worth putting out in the public domain? I imagine in your position, you have a lot of names put you by a lot of people you reference before that you speak to people inside the club. That's got to help. Mm. How do you deal with this kind of? Well, I'll say it's it's a bit of a bullshit world, isn't it? The world of transfers, particularly during a window, agents, mm. you know, people connected to agents trying to push players, all that kind of stuff. How how do you deal with all that? Do you know what? At the start of the window, Alex, and I said, you know, I went into this and this this level of interest was relatively new to me. As a, I've never really seen myself as a as a transfer journalist. I'm more a I'm a journalist who breaks news stories from from within a club, within a, within a training ground. Really, in terms of the. The big transfer contacts, I've never really bothered myself with trying to, to make those super agent contacts because, you know, they're really only interested in moving players on. That is where they, they're in the money and Newcastle don't really sign players. So I went into this window and I, you know, there's that want to be there's that want to be first, you know, and it's always the, the dilemma for all journalists. Do you want to be first or do you want to be right? And I was thinking, you know, I, I want to get the names out there first. And I had a list of names coming into the back end of December, and I wrote a big, long piece on December 31st, 1st of January. I put load, load, loads of names in there, and I wanted those guys to, to happen. As the window's gone on, I've realised that it's not about being first, it's about being right. And for example, last night, we've got the, the situation with Bruno Gomorish, where the story breaks in France. It's broken first elsewhere. Do I wish I had that information first? Absolutely. Being first and right is still the ultimate. But if you're not first, make sure you're right. And there was this little void last night, this little window, whereby the only reports coming out about Bruno were, were from abroad. And no of the, the British journalists you've just mentioned there, the guys you trust, I don't believe, I can imagine who's, who's on that list as well, I don't believe any of us had tweeted anything about Bruno. 
And I think I was probably, I, I, I don't know, I'd have to go back and check. I think I was probably the first of that that group of, of local Northeast British journalists who tweeted Newcastle have made an offer for him. And I had that stood up by, by a very good source. I wouldn't have run the story on the back of on the back of the foreign reports, absolutely not. And I wouldn't probably have run it on the back of one or two agents out there who, who may have confirmed it as well, because you're always thinking, what's in it, what's in it for them? They may have an agenda to get to get that out there. Uh so no, once you get that stood up and I've even found that even as today today has gone on, there's been little bits of information about about Dan Byrne, about about Mitchell Backer. And it doesn't matter if you're not first anymore, if it's broken by a journalist down south or abroad, or even a northeast colleague, because as you said, what you realize in this window is there's that certain level of interaction, that level of trust. And you've just got to respect that. Don't panic. You know, people are going to come to, to your Twitter page, to, to, to my daily mail page, whatever it may be, my, my new Instagram page with 200 followers, which I launched yesterday. Uh you know, and you've just got to, to relax, try your best to get the information. If you're first, wonderful, but it's uh, it can be quite a stressful month, but I think I'm, I think I'm growing into it. I'm, I'm relaxed now, relaxed enough to spend half an hour talking to you anyway, Alex, with my notifications switched off. Well, I appreciate you doing so. <laughs> we are going to be back after these short messages. If you don't want to hear the messages, you can get all these podcasts ad-free on our Patreon platform, £6.60 a month. Be back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Craig, I'm, I'm a traditionalist and regardless of my desire to see Newcastle sign all of the players you've mentioned and be absolutely class or just not as dreadful as we'll have been most of the season, I still think the most important thing for Newcastle United in January, regardless of any incoming players, was picking up four points from Watford and Leeds. Um, you know, I try, try and concentrate on the football as important as the transfers are. You just said that before you were at Ellen Road on Saturday. Uh, what did you make of the win in terms of the importance of it for the manager? Yeah, huge. Uh, I think it was an important win on on so many levels. Uh, seven days previous, after the Watford game, it was the first point at which 
one or two questions were beginning to be asked of Eddie Howe. Now, I understood why, because as much as we'd seen improvement, and I thought that there was visible improvement on the pitch, and when you watch them every week, you're able to to, to detect that. Uh, there wasn't an improvement in terms of in terms of results, really. It was one win in 10, wasn't it? Okay, there was a, a slight pickup in terms of points per game compared to, to Steve Bruce, but it wasn't anything massively noticeable. There hadn't been a, a, huge, a, a huge bounce, per se. And I just think Eddie needed a result. He needed that statement result. I put out, um, after the Watford game on the Sunday going into Monday, I was writing a piece for, for the Daily Mail, answering the question, you know, uh, what difference has Eddie Howe made? It was 10 games. It was a. It seemed like a fair juncture at which to take stock. And I put on, the, on my Twitter feed, what do you think of Eddie Howe after 10 games? Now, there were over 1,100 replies. And for once, it was... It, it, it's going to be a good point to reference this, to go back and, and look at it after 20 games, 30 games, 40 games... There were really sensible replies. It was the best of Twitter. I didn't even have to use the show button to reveal the expletives. It was all above board, you know, sensible thinking. And it was, it was a wide range of views. There absolutely was. But ultimately, I took from that, and I used this to inform my piece on the, on the Monday. I thought it was one of overriding support for Eddie Howe. Supporters liked him, and they could see where he was going and what he was trying to achieve. But he did need a result to, to justify that support. Now, on Saturday, he got that. Me and you had a, had, a, had, a, had a conversation last week where we sat over, over a beer having a chat. I think I said, you didn't ask that. I couldn't see a way they would win at Ellen Road on Saturday. I couldn't see a way tactically. I couldn't justify it in my head to make a prediction that they would, that they would win other than the Premier League's crazy and Leeds aren't great. And, you know, as it turned out, I don't even think Newcastle won, won the game tactically. I don't because the way Newcastle went into the match, whatever their tactics were, didn't work within the first 25 to 30 minutes. You could argue even the, the entirety of the first half because whatever they went in intending to do, Leeds probably should have been one or two up. I know Dubravko only made one really good save, but they had a lot of near misses. Balls are cr- which flashed across the face of goal. And you were sat there after half an hour, 40 minutes, thinking if Leeds get one, this could turn, this could turn messy for Newcastle. So tactically, they didn't win it tactically. We got into the second half and it became a game of, it was incredible. We were sat there in the press box and we're looking at each other and we're, we said to each other, the ball hasn't been out of play for five minutes yet. It was like Bielsa's murder ball. You know, the infamous training ground, ball isn't allowed to go out of play, no fouls, no offsides. It was just absolutely frenetic. I was sat there thinking, this is going to go the way Leeds United. This is playing right into their hands. <clears throat> Incredibly, Newcastle were fitter than Leeds. They were faster than Leeds. They were stronger than Leeds. They had more desire than Leeds. Now, for me, that wasn't a victory for Eddie Howe tactically in the way he sets up the team on Saturday. That was a victory for what he's done for them during the course of two months, mentally and physically. He inherited a team who weren't fit. Enough players have said that on the record now. Callum Wilson didn't pull any punches when he said it on his podcast. We knew it anyway. We watched them every week. I've read copy from earlier in the season. Every week I was intimating this team wasn't fit enough. So first of all, it was a, it was a victory for what Eddie Howe has done them on a conditioning perspective. No days off with this gaffer, as Ryan Fraser put it. <laughs> they just looked in, in, in better condition. Also as well, that now, seven days previous, that team wasn't mentally strong enough to, to hold on to a lead. Uh, I thought Eddie Howe, uh, the Watford game, I thought Eddie Howe got it, got it wrong. I thought once his team against Watford had retreated, he had to do something to either change the formation to suit their mentality or change their mentality to suit an attacking formation. He did neither, and the Watford game drifted towards what was the inevitable 1-1 draw. Now, on Saturday, we didn't see that. They never 
they never looked like conceding. That is the, the biggest compliment I can pay them for the, the 15, 20 minutes that was left after John Joe Shelby's goal. It felt comfortable. Listen, they were, they were, they were, on the, they were dead on the feet come the end, but I thought they they were still, even in the last five minutes, they were still stronger, fitter, faster, quicker than the needs were. And if anything, Joe Willick should have made a 2 non stoppage time. And to answer your question, it was a, a, a huge result for, for all of those reasons. And as well, Alex, you know, the noise around the club. Let's let's go back to Friday. Even by Newcastle standards, Friday was a pretty extraordinary day. Now, if you thought the advent of money was going to bring about a new era of normality at Newcastle United, think again. Friday was bonkers. You know, you, you go into it with Eddie Howe answering questions about, you know, you've bear in mind Rafa Benitez has been sacked a couple of days previous as well. You go into it with Eddie Howe answering questions, not on his future, but there's a little bit of pressure there. There's a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, the, the impact he's made, one win in 10, all the rest of it. You've then got Eddie Howe confirming the story, which was broken in the Daily Mail, of Newcastle going to Saudi Arabia. I mean, we might talk about this in a little bit, but, you know, at a time when you can probably do without questions about shaking hands with Mohammed bin Salman, it's on the eve of a, it's on the eve of such a big game at Leeds and sports washing all the rest of it. Then just to put the cherry on the cake at tea time, you have confirmation that Mike Ashley's suing a man the stadium for £10 million. So all this noise was was enveloping the club and was beginning to just to prove a little bit of distraction. So for Eddie to go out and get that win, it just quietens everything. It really does. It was a huge win on so many levels. Yeah. Totally agree. And and it felt like that from the away end and it felt like that from the players and the manager on the pitch as well. And, you know, I said this in our podcast on Sunday, I, I quite enjoy the fact that it wasn't this brilliant tactical victory because for so long, it feels like to win a game, we've got to go to Leicester City and score four. or We've got to kind of batter Burnley and, and somehow only win 1-0. It's kind of proof that I, I think normally in a season you can just play four or five games away from home against average teams. And as long as you defend okay, you might win a couple of them because eventually teams like that will give you a goal. Normally, we're the ones doing that, given you know, opposition teams a goal. Watford being a, a case in point last week. Didn't play well, Watford, but deserved something from the game. Um, I'm already nervous for Everton because it's just such a massive game. <laughs> Every game we play at the minute, you just feel, can't lose that. We can't lose that. And it's got it's got a way on the players and... That's why Saturday was so important. Is if, if they'd lost that game, and it, like you say, it's entirely conceivable, even on the balance of play, particularly in the first half, that they could have lost it. The you know, if we think it's um there's a lot of noise now in the transfer window, there's a lot of frustration, it would have just been there would there just would have been so much pressure to get mm-hmm. these players in. And in addition, if if we think clubs are taking the piss now with Newcastle one point from safety, you know, unbeaten and three in the league. It just would have been so much worse. So a massive, massive win. And um, I kind of wish we were playing this Saturday, to be honest with you, just because, just to mm. take it on. And that's the thing about the Man United game. After the Man U game, we didn't have a game for, for a little mm. while. And we kind of, you saw against Cambridge that we lost whatever we'd had in that fixture. So I hope the same doesn't happen against Everton. Um, let's move on then to the trip to Saudi Arabia. Obviously, you're speaking to me from the northeast of England. So... Press pack not out there. Uh, is it a trip you re- a trip you regret not being on currently? I would have gone if there'd been, you know, last Sunday night I was looking at visas and getting sponsors and flights and all the rest of it. And I would have been there, but Newcastle uh, said that there were there would be no press access. Now I broke the story. I think it was it was a ten day lose track now ten days ago on the Thursday, and the Newcastle were planning to go to Saudi Arabia. The players had been told visas were being sorted. 
Now, within five minutes of, of me breaking that story at the Daily Mail, the Mail Online, Newcastle had a call, I think, from an ITN news crew wanting to send some, you know, wanting to send the team over there to, to cover this. This is big news. Newcastle can't escape that. And I think in light of that interest, I think they they realised that, you know what, perhaps this is better off just as a, as a closed training camp. And I, I don't necessarily blame them for that. I think it's probably a, a wise choice from their perspective. Now, would I want the, the the camp to be open for us guys to be there and for us to be asking footballing questions and non-footballing questions? Because this is a, you know, this is a this is a big story. You've got to admit that. And there's one or two, I'll address this as well. So I call it a, a controversial trip in in copy and you know, Michael Martin, who who you know in a moment there's there, there was quite a few others come back when I called it controversial on Twitter. Why is it controversial? Now listen, come on. Of course, it's controversial. If you've been following anything to do with Newcastle United and the Saudi takeover since October, you know that the very first time Newcastle take their squad of players to to Saudi Arabia, it is controversial. There is going to be interest. There is going to be criticism. I totally get that. I think it's right and I think it's fair. I do. I think the 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 timing of the trip uh, is not ideal. I do uh, in terms of they could have gone in the in the summer while there still would have been interest. It would not have been amidst the transfer window and a, a relegation fight. I think Eddie Howe, before the Leeds game, was having to answer questions he could have done without, as I said. And when he comes back, he, he probably will do as well, too. And I think that's only right. Uh, but as ever, everything is coloured by results. Now, if Newcastle had lost at Leeds on Saturday, there's probably certain things happening over in Saudi that could have been spun in a very different way. I think the guys are having a game of golf. There's a couple of team meals, things like that. Now, on the back of a victory, that's team building. On the back of a defeat, it can be spun a, a, a very different way. It can be interpreted as a little bit of a jolly. Now, listen, from what I gather, they are out there working working very hard. And I think actually in the in the isolation of going away for a warm weather training camp, I think it's I think it's an excellent idea. I really do. You know, under the previous manager, we've got to be fair here. We would have criticized them under the previous manager, and we did when players were given four, five, six days off. During these type of these types of break, and the the manager went on holiday. So, ready how to, to to not go on holiday, for him to take the players away, some much needed time in terms of bonding and working on organisation tactics, all the rest of it. I applaud them for that. I just think they probably should have chose a different location, somewhere closer to home in Central Europe. If you are going to be buying players from France, Spain, Portugal, wherever, just be in Central Europe, a, a similar time zone, not too far from. Uh, from fr- from those countries where you're probably going to be buying players from would have been would have been uh, more savvy and it would have avoided a, a lot of the coverage. Now again, I come back to that phrase: everything is coloured by results. Newcastle come back from Saudi and they've got two home games in four days. If you lose those two, don't be surprised to see the likes of myself and my colleagues, you know, blaming the Saudi trip too far to go. You know, eight thousand mile round trip, twenty hours on planes, all the rest of it. You know, we'll soon come back to it. If they come back and win those games, now Saudi was a master stroke. Wasn't it wonderful that the players got away? Eddie Howe, you know, that's just the nature of the beast of football. Everything is coloured by results. So it's probably a, a wait and see in terms of how uh, history will judge the, the, the merits or otherwise of this Saudi trip. Uh, but my honest opinion before they went was probably they should, have, they should have probably chosen somewhere else, I think, at this particular time. What do you make of Amanda Stavely being with the first team squad and going over there? What you know, any theories about that? I think it was a bit of a shock to some supporters to see one of the owners and, and the woman running the club going across to a training camp. Have you heard anything about the motivation mm-hmm. behind that? 
Well, again, it was it was us guys who, who broke the, the story of Amanda going with me. I must admit, when I was told for the first time, I was my first reaction was one of surprise. I thought that given that there's no director of football, no chief executive, I assumed Amanda would be on the ground here with Murdad, with Steve Nixon, uh, and have a sort of a, a UK transfer committee. Now, as it happens, I think Amanda and Eddie have been working very closely over in Saudi with regards to transfers. I just think maybe she she had to be there from an ownership presence with regards to meeting the, the Saudi contingent. That is part of the reason why why I don't think this trip was a good idea because it has taken Amanda, Eddie Howe, and Jason Tindall's a big part of recruitment as well. It's taken them away from the the the, the, the Tyneside nerve centre, if you like, in terms of having everyone together in one place. The admin staff, a guy called you know Richie Hines, who's in there doing all the the, the Lee Charney job, the the I's and T's. I think it works better if <clears throat> if everyone is in the same place. Uh, so yeah, I was surprised. Amanda went. But isn't ultimately as well, they're going to be judged by two things. One, results when they come back and also what they deliver in the transfer market. If we get to Monday night, and this has been a little bit of a, a car crash of the last five days in terms of not getting deals done, not getting the, the big deals done in the right positions, then Amanda Stavely going to, to Saudi was a bad idea. If they actually deliver on everything and we emerge from it saying, you know what, fair play, they've they've put their, their... I said this to earlier, someone actually about the Saudis, you know, it's putting their money where their mouth isn't. We haven't heard anything from the Saudis so far. We don't actually know the level of ambition and intent yet for the football club. All we've got is a, a man that stayed in a hotel room in Jesmond two months ago saying they wanted to, to match PSG and Manchester City when I think she was probably under guidance and advice not to say that. So, so yeah, come, come Monday, come Tuesday, we'll know more again as to whether... The Saudi trip was a success from the point of view of the team going and as well, Amanda being there. Very interesting. To finish off, Craig, put you on the spot from everything you've you've seen and heard so far from the new regime, new management. Obviously, you've, you've spoken to Eddie Howe a lot. Uh, you spoke to Amanda Stavely a lot. Got a feeling on Newcastle United staying up this season at this moment in time? Uh, I would say it was... It was Odds, uh, odds against the will. Sorry, funny phrase that odds against odds against means they've got more chance of staying up. I, I think they've got more chance of staying up than going down. Uh, I think that there's a number of factors, you know, in my opinion on that. One is Eddie Howe. I think the longer Newcastle are exposed to Eddie Howe, the better they will get. And uh, I make that statement based on what I've seen myself and noise from the from the inside. I think it will take a lot longer than any, you know, it will take a lot longer than two months to undo what I felt was two years of regression under the previous manager. And the longer he has, the the better they will get. So Eddie Howe is one reason why I would back Newcastle to stay up. I think here in Trippier and, and Chris Wood, I think he's still got something to, to prove on on account of his first two sign, his first two appearances. I think he's looked like what Sean Dyche said he was, a quiet player out of form. That is what, what Newcastle have bought so far. And he needs to, to play his way in. But I think in terms of what... Chris Wood did in, in Wigging in Burnley and in terms of the, the form he could run into, because I've always thought he was a decent player. I thought that was a sensible buy. Uh, Kieran Trippier is just a better player than what Newcastle have, even though you would argue he's replaced Newcastle's second best <laughs> defender in, in Javier Manquillo. But Newcastle may just have found a left back in Javier Manquillo based on the, yeah. the impact he had on Sunday. So I think they are two good signings so far. Uh, and I think in terms of what, what they've got left to do, no one out of the bottom four will or should spend the money Newcastle spend during the next five days and bring in the calibre of player Newcastle do. So as of now, Wednesday night, Newcastle should be the only squad who is stronger again come Monday. And if they're not, then we'll be asking serious questions of the ownership 
as to why they haven't made the impact that they, they should have done and are capable of doing so. So at the moment, I think they 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 will stay up. No, I, I, I do. Everyone's saying it's three from four. I still think there's scope for a Brentford or a Leeds to maybe just get dragged into it. Uh, I, I really do. But I don't think it's going to take... Everyone's saying they might need five or six wins. I don't think they will. I think somewhere relatively, you know, not far north of 30 points, 32, 33, 34, would probably be enough to stay up this year. What I will say is, I think the next two at home are huge. Uh, I really do. I just think you've got those two games at home in four days. Everton is a is a must win. Everton are a team in free fall. They really are. Look at the, the protests there this week in terms of chasing the manager before he's even been appointed. We thought Newcastle was nuts. Uh, Villa will be a little bit harder. Uh you know, Stephen Gerrard hasn't necessarily had the results you'd expect there, but you can see the impact he's made. I think if you take four points from those in that week and climb out with a relegation zone on the back of a couple of good signings, I would absolutely be back in Newcastle to stay up. Yep, yeah, no, I share that opinion entirely. You said they were going down last week, Alex. I'm going to pull you up on that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a football fan. I'm fickle and I, I, uh, I change my opinion weekly. I think, um, like I said, I think like the fact that we haven't gone to Leeds and played brilliant and smashed them. I know it would be better to do that, but the fact we're just capable of winning a tight game, I didn't think they had it in them to win that kind of scrappy tight game that if he's still in the game on 60 minutes, anything can happen. Um, you know, you said this, I think, on social media, and I, and I agree that every substitution made the team mm-hmm. better, even though all three were enforced. That was the opposite of what happened against Watford and Cambridge, where the team got worse every time the team changed. But like you say, the next two are massive. We can get four points out of those two games. You know, that'll be five games unbeaten in the Premier League. Uh, How still won't have been beaten by a team you wouldn't expect to beat Newcastle. Mm. I think that that was another important thing about Leeds. If we'd lost that game, you're looking at Leeds and thinking, well, Leeds are rubbish, um, which they are this season, particularly without a striker. The fact that, you know, that builds, that builds confidence in me that when you play the likes of Everton and even West Ham, it's a hard game because they're a good team, but you've got Brentford and Brighton after that. There's just points there. So we mm-hmm. can get through the next two, particularly with the, the players you hope they're going to bring in. I think that, that Watford fans, Norwich fans, Burnley fans are desperate for Newcastle to beat Everton. Even mm-hmm. though it, it moves Newcastle away, I think Everton, are, you know, with the form dropping like a stone, regardless of who they get in with manager, they're not going to be able to reverse like nine defeats and eleven or whatever whatever it is. Now that that's a that's a big ask. So I agree with you. Do what they've got to do. Drag those teams above us into it. And I mean, we've got a tough end of the season. That's another thing to consider. So we've got to get the points sooner mm. rather than later. And you want to be going into April really with some real daylight between us and the relegation zone. Mm. You don't, you don't get those. Going. I always say that you don't get those games back and. You don't get Everton at home back. You don't get Villa at home back. There's the, you're running out of games now for hard luck stories. Norwich was a hard luck story. In we came out of it, you know, writing in the paper about it being a, a, a wonderful occasion and something that can that can build on. Even though they only drew one-one at home in Norwich, you know, you don't get that game back. Home games against the bottom six now have all gone. You know, they don't. They're bottom five, bottom six. They're gone now. So yeah, the next two are, are absolutely huge. And something I want to ask you as well, Alex. Just you know, it's putting a question back at you. What you asked me really in terms of the the ownership. I'll give you my point of view from a journalistic perspective. That I still think they've got a, a little bit to prove this month. And you know, I think for supporters, there's this want, and I get it, and this willingness to think that everything they do is wonderful, and they are to a degree above criticism. And you know, Amanda Staveley will always be the woman who made this deal happen, and she'll be 
she'll forever have that credit in the bank. But where are you in terms of judging them or uh, how you feel they've they've performed so far in January and how you would feel if things go don't go as we perhaps expect or support us hope in the next three or four days? I'm always going to reserve judgment until the end of the season, really. You can, I can judge the transfer window and what we thought might have happened. When they took over, they were one point behind Watford, mm. who were in 17th place at the time. So right now, we'll find ourselves one point behind Norwich outside the relegation. So, so in that respect, there's been no progress. Um, but like we keep saying, in terms of the improvements under Eddie Howe, the fact that it's a football club united, I think, the mm. fact that I enjoy looking ahead to home games, that's because of the new owners, and I'm kind of grateful for that. That'll run out eventually. That won't last forever. There's a lot of things they haven't done, which I think fans are allowing because of the transfer window, okay? Mm. Like you just said, PIF, what do they want to do with the club? What's the vision? Who runs the club? Why isn't there a CEO there? Those things can wait because January is the most important. If they don't sign players in January, it starts to look a little bit desperate because, well, okay, if you're not doing all of these things that you said you'd do in terms of transparency, in terms of fan communication, well, if you weren't signing players, what were you doing? It's very difficult in January. Like I said at the start of the show, I can't think of another club so active in this transfer window. In my, I mean, the January transfer window, you know, it hasn't been around forever, but it's it's got to be 20 years old now. Um, I can't think of another club that has been linked with as many players, even Manchester City when they were bought mm. back in 2008, they simply weren't linked with this number of players. So let's let let's wait and see. If it's a, if if we don't get the signings that we think they need, I still think Newcastle can stay up based on what I've seen so far. They would have to get lucky with injuries, but then then I, I always look at the the teams we're up against, and and none of them are any good. That's the thing. We're up against bad teams. We don't have to be brilliant. We just have to be the fourth worst team in the league. And I think they're capable of that. So ask me again at the end of the season. You know, it, it's, it's, I'm enjoying it. I don't know about you, Craig. It's just, it's, it, it kills you at times. Walking out of Watford, walking out of Cambridge kills you a little bit. The people who are at Leicester City after the highs of Burnley going and putting in that performance, it feels worse almost than it did under Bruce because there is that hope there. But it's just interesting. It's just a different way to, Mm. experience football isn't it and I, I suppose I'm loving it I'm loving every minute of it don't yeah. know about you I'm enjoying it from it from a different perspective albeit I'm enjoying it because it's a, it's a wonderful story and there is that level of interest in in every week there's 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 fresh intrigue there's invariably a, a fresh storyline or some sort of narrative around it that, that us guys are following and I just think if you if you bring in as well, uh, you know, if you do get a big name like uh, Bruno Camara, a current Brazilian national, for us guys as journalists, that's just brilliant. There's going to be there's going to be level there from it from a national interest to see to see what he can do. So, so no, listen, we'd gone. The patch was going stale to a degree uh, from from our guys. You know, journalist. I use that word journalistically because that's that's what we are. Uh, it had got a little bit samey. Mike Ashley's football club was always going to end up on the back pages. Never everything to do with football. And I was someone who thrived off that in the past sort of couple of years. The, the, the back page stories, that whenever good news stories from Newcastle, it was always causing problems, problems within, you know, and that necessarily won't won't change. It'll always be a be a newsy football club, not always for the right reasons. But hopefully, just hopefully, there might be some footballing reasons to to put our names up in lights as supporters, uh, as reporters over the, the next few years. So listen. We're going to enjoy enjoy the ride as, as journalists. We've had one of the most intriguing stories in world football land on our doorstep. So 
So yeah, let's enjoy it and enjoy it behind Patreon with me and you. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to finish. If you want to hear Craig again in future on True Faith, head over to Patreon, £6.60 a month for 20 to 30 additionally Castle United podcasts a month, including Craig, hopefully a couple of times a month. Final note from me, if you live in London or in London, um, Friday the 18th of February, the night before Newcastle play West Ham, we are hosting a live True Faith podcast uh, in London, I'll put a link to that event in the description. Tickets are £15, £10 for patrons. Would love to see you there. There are limited tickets available, so move fast if you'd like to join us at the Angelic Pub um, in Islington before the West Ham game. Craig, thanks for your time, mate. We'll speak to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye.